We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into the Sooner Sports Podcast. We call our Friday edition the tailgate. My name is Chris Plank. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, thank you for subscribing, whether you follow the link, Soonersports.tv slash podcast, or through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. However you consume podcasts, thank you for making us a part of your game day weekend. Yeah, you heard me right. Game day weekend. Never thought it would get here. You know, once the bid was handed down, You kind of want to pause on your excitement. We had a lot of things to keep our attention focused away from the actual game. You had the Heisman, the incredible start by Trey Young, had signing day mixed in between there. But here we are on the Friday before OU Georgia in the Rose Bowl, the four-team playoff, and we have about an hour plus dedicated to nothing but Oklahoma and Georgia preview. We'll learn about the Georgia Bulldogs from Mark Weiser. Mark is one of the beat writers for the Georgia Bulldogs. As a matter of fact, he writes for the Athens Banner Herald. He'll join us to give some perspective on the Georgia Bulldogs. Also, former WCW announcer Tony Schiavone. He's a member of the Georgia Bulldog radio network team. And in fact, he does the daily Kirby Smart show. So Tony Schiavone will join us. Let's go to work, brother. We got a counter with our own Hall of Fame. So Oklahoma Sooner celeb Jim Ross, good old JR, will join us on the podcast as well. Plus, we'll go in-depth on what we've learned with Toby, the voice of the Sooners, Toby Rowland. We'll bring back our producer's perspective with Jacob Potter. Continue that from our podcast last week. And Ted Lehman and Chad McKee already with their feet on the ground. They'll give us an update 
from Pasadena. As we get ready for the Rose Bowl, finally here, tailgate game day weekend. As always, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing through iTunes. If that's the way you consume podcasts, please leave a rating or a review. And as always, thanks to our great sponsors, the Riverwind Resort and All State. Let's get after it, shall we? This will be it. Baker under center. He'll get the Heisman Trophy a week from tonight, but he gets the football right now. Takes a knee, and that'll do it. <laughs> Jeff Bidette with a backflip, and the Sooners have won their 11th Big 12 title. Final score in Arlington, Texas, on a Saturday afternoon. Oklahoma 41 and TCU 17. Let's start by getting some perspective from the voice of the Sooners. Toby Rowland joins us on the Sooner Sports Podcast. T-Row, I know you've been busy with everything from uh, basketball. You had women's hoops last night. But as you prepare for OU and Georgia, anything that's kind of caught your eye, anything that stood out over the last couple of weeks of intense prep getting set to call the Rose Bowl? Um, Yeah, I don't think it has changed too much from when we first saw the matchup. You just, you know, as you... Uh, do the homework. You learn the names, and you and you uh, you soak in the statistics. But they are what we knew they were back then. I mean, they are a really good defense and a really good running game. And I don't know that Jake Fromm is a weakness. I don't think he's a weakness, but I think he is uh, the least of the most potent weapons that they have. So I you like just kind of kind of ride with that, you know? Right. Like if you look at Oklahoma and you try to find the least most potent weapon on offense, you you can't find one. So you got to go to defense and say oh, the defense might be getting better, but I think that's their weakness. Well, for Georgia, I, I I don't think Jake Fromm is bad at all. I, I in fact I think by the time he leaves Georgia, he might be really good. But right now, I think that's where your hope is. If you're Oklahoma, your hope is that your offense can keep scoring on Georgia like they have everybody else this year. And that maybe the moment is a little bigger than Jake Fromm can handle. Um, so I like, I, I like leaning on that. You got a true freshman on the other side in a massive football game and hopefully it gets to him and he throws it to the wrong team a couple of times. I like that. Uh, least potent of their weapons. I like that term because yeah. at least three deep in the at the in the running back room with guys who could hurt you. Maybe four, but man, yeah, I I really like what I see from from Chubb and Michelle. With that said, question was asked yesterday: Which position group do you see for the Sooners that really needs to have an outstanding game to win this? I say all of them, Captain Obvious. But it seems like it's shaping up for a day in which Calvin Thibodeau and Ruffin McNeil's defensive line really has to play well, don't they? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Every layer of the defense has to play well. I, I think maybe if I pointed to one position group, I might point to the defensive backs. And that sounds weird, but if, especially the corners, but if you can trust those guys in man coverage a lot on Saturday, if, you, if, if it looks like Parnell Motley and Trey Norwood and Stephen Parker have it on lockdown and they're, they're okay, then you can commit a bunch of people to the run game. And that's really going to help the effort. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have to put five, six DBs on the field, I don't think you can do that against these guys. They're too good in the run game. So they need those secondary guys to really be good in a lot of man coverage, I think, on Monday so that you can commit extra bodies to the box to deal with the run game. 
What is it? Um, boy, I just sounded like I hit another octave. What is it? Uh, what is it that you see uh, that has, again, we were talking about this with Jessica Cootie. You, you don't want to use the term focus too much because that it becomes overused. Oh, they're so focused. But there's been something about this team, Toby, even even since day one, even after the Iowa State loss, to where it just it, – it's a really solid focus. And I don't know if you credit the captains. I don't know if you credit experience. I don't know if you credit the coach. But what is it about this team that has really seemed to keep them pigeonholed focused on that one goal of a championship and not letting distractions or anything off the field get the best of them? Did you? I, I read this morning because TJ recommended it. The D.D. Uh, Westbrook Players Tribune. I have not read story. it yet. It's on my timeline a bazillion times. I'm going to read exactly it what I thought of when he asked that question just then. Yeah. yeah, him talking about Baker and the reaction Baker had to the loss in the Orange Bowl to Clemson is, I think, what you can point to about this team. And it's more than Baker. I mean, it's you know, it's Lincoln and it's Obo and everybody. Everybody deserves a lot of credit for this season. But when you have a leader and the best player on your team like that, then I don't, I, it's, I don't think it's possible to lose focus. It, it reminds me of Buddy. You know, when your best player is the guy who wants to be in the gym 25 hours a day, then everybody else falls in line. Yeah, everybody else says, well, if, I'm gonna, if Buddy's going to be there, I got to be there. You know, you right. feel the peer pressure. Th- I think that's the way it is with Baker. When your best player is your hardest worker and your loudest mouth and backs it up with everything he says – then everybody else kind of has to fall in line because that's the cool thing to do. And um, so I, I think he deserves a ton of credit for especially after the Iowa State loss, keeping this team together. You, you haven't heard hardly any even rumors of infighting or guys not getting along or anything like that about this team. You know, he had the whole Charles Walker thing last year, whatever that was. And every year there's something, you know, and it's hard to think of anything behind the scenes or, you know, sideways with this team at all. And I think Baker probably deserves a ton of credit. The voice of the Sooners, Toby Rowland. Let's go from the voice to the face. Chad McKee, Teddy Lehman, feet already on the ground in Pasadena. How's the first couple of days gone for the Sooners, guys? So one day in the books for the Sooners in Los Angeles practice facility is the StubHub Center, which is the home of the Los Angeles Chargers, where they play their games temporarily while their stadium's being built. And also the LA Galaxy of the MLS plays in this uh, this same venue, but it's so big and sprawling, it's about a mile wide, and so both teams can practice at the same time virtually without running into one another. Great spot to practice. It was about 72 degrees for practice. And, Ted, what were the most important things that Oklahoma needed to get out of this first workout out here in L.A.? Well, you know, there's a lot of distractions. There's a bunch of stuff going on, you know, getting travel out here, getting set into the hotel. There's a bunch of activities and different events that you have to attend. So it's nice to finally get out on the football field and and see the, all the game plan and stuff that you've been meeting about over the break finally come to fruition. And it's nice to get out there and run the guys a little bit. And it was nice seeing them active. It was a good, sharp, physical practice. So I think day one, you got to look at it and say it's a success. Everyone's out there healthy, ready to go. When it comes to shaking off the rust, which is important for an offense like Oklahoma, it's almost like a highly tuned sports car. you got to get it back up and running after. You know, they haven't been completely dormant. They had some practices in Norman, but you haven't played a game now in going on three weeks. Is it about the little things, just getting back to doing those basic things to kind of get the rhythm going once again? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, 
I've even been on teams in the past where you show up at bowl practice in the first day or two. Uh, the first day you kind of get your feet under you and then there's some heavy full padded practices in there. And it, it's not unlikely that some teams go full full go, mm-hmm. try and replicate a little bit of game type situations to get the guys kind of back in the groove, back in the feel of things. It's been so long since you've played a football game. So I, I do think that's one thing to worry about. Oklahoma is really successful when they get off to a good fast start. And that's something to watch to see, is our offense in rhythm early? Baker Mayfield went through practice. Uh, He looked good in practice. Of course, Lincoln Riley was having to answer questions about, well, why was he not at Disney? Uh, Not anything that's going to keep Baker Mayfield out of a national semifinal game. But as this offense starts to put things together, who are the most key components that you want to see have a good week of practice? Well, I think the running game is always going to be key with Oklahoma. And you never know if they're going to pass to set up the run or run to set up the pass. But whatever we do, we have to run the football well against Georgia. So I got—I would say that the offensive line needs to be ready to roll and Rodney Anderson needs to be ready to roll. If we can get that going, we get our running game going, that's whenever this offense really starts to click. So take us through what the rest of the next few practices will be. You go back out for practice today. It'll be a nice Thursday afternoon practice. Uh, The game is on Monday, so you're essentially four days away from getting this thing kicked off. Where are you with game plan installation and what is maybe a more full contact practice going to be like on a Thursday? Today and tomorrow are going to be your most physical practices and then they'll start to, you know, get you out of the pads a little bit, uh, you know, lessen the workload on you. So the next couple of days is going to be your longest time out on the field, the most physical time out on the field. And this may be the days where you do see some live periods to get the guys back to where close to a game type atmosphere and get them running around making some some real physical plays out there so that's what you can expect you know the real meat and potatoes longest days longest meeting days it's going to be a full-on day uh, for these guys full-on bowl mode so uh, they're gearing up for the the two biggest practices of the week give me a couple of guys that's important defensively with with George's ground game and what they can do with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and uh, DeAndre Swift who's kind of the home run hitter and and the quarterback Nick Fromm, who are, who are a couple of the, the key pieces defensively that need to be dialed in through this week of practice? I think the inside linebackers, this is going to be their biggest challenge. They're going to be asked to do a whole lot in the running game. They've got to be physical. They're going to be taking on big guards that are trying to climb to the next level. So they've got to be really in tune in the running game. But the play action stuff as well, you're going to see Georgia do some of the run pass option stuff. They're going to do some boot stuff. They're going to do play action over the middle, trying to get the backers to, to jump up uh, tight to the line of scrimmage and hit, hit guys in behind them. So I'd say the inside backers have the biggest challenge. And, and that's going to be key. If those guys can play well on early downs, first and second down, you get the true freshman quarterback in third and long, that's whenever I think Mike Stoops is going to dial up some big-time pressure on him. Mike Stoops and, and his staff are not going to let this defense underestimate this freshman quarterback, Jake Fromm. When you watch him, he's better, I think, than a lot of people around the country recognize. They just don't ask him to do a lot is the great mistake taking a player like this for granted and just assuming if you stop the run you'll be able to stop Georgia yeah I think so and he makes big time throws now you 
you hit on it. They don't ask him to do it a lot. They know they've got a capable arm. They know they've got a good decision maker, but they know that's not what they're going to use as the bulk of their offense. They've got three great running backs, good offensive line, and that's what they want to use. As he progresses in his career, maybe they'll put more workload on him. But right now, with as good as their defense plays, they really don't need to. So, yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and that could be a case where early on, just to get Oklahoma guessing a little bit, they show up and they throw the ball down the field a little bit, test our secondary, and uh, you know, just try and use some of that early momentum against us, guys trying to fly around, make plays on the football. So I, I do think you could underestimate him, and that's going to be the big challenge. I imagine Mike Stoops is going to dial up the pressure. True freshman quarterback, bring the pressure, make him make tough throws uh, under duress into tight windows and man-to-man coverage. I, me- I imagine that's the game plan. We'll see how he reacts to that, and we'll see how our guys on the back end can cover. Because if he can make you pay whenever you bring a bunch of guys, it's going to be a long day. I haven't asked you this question. I haven't heard you answer it since the Rose Bowl came up. But you played down in the Sugar Bowl. You played the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. You played the Rose Bowl in 2003. There seems to be a little something different about the granddaddy of them all. When you played in this game, did it seem different from the others? Uh, yeah, it's it's different in the fact that you're... They do a really good job here promoting the Rose Bowl. You go to Miami, and the Orange Bowl is big, but the city really doesn't embrace it. And I don't know necessarily that L.A. embraces the Rose Bowl, but they know how big it is, and they they go out of their way, way to make the whole presentation top-notch. And that's what you've seen, whether it's the you know police escort to and from all the practices and all the different venues, if it's the, the Rose Bowl uh, representation, making sure everything's taken care of, it definitely is All right, so a little bit of a nod there to the Sooner Sports TV crew that's already there. Let's continue giving you some perspective on what you can come to expect from Soonersports.tv. Live in Pasadena, we are joined by executive producer Jacob Potter. I I had a couple of good suggestions for the name of this segment, but I think my personal uh, favorite was the producer's perspective. So we get the behind the scenes what's kind of talked about off the air and laid out in plans to the talent on the air. Jacob's the man in their ear. He is the guy that plans and preps. And we talked about the first storyline, Jacob, when we had you on last week. And and that was Baker versus Roquan, Heisman versus Butkus Award winner. What a showdown. And to have a guy like Teddy Lehman give perspective is pretty awesome. But let's talk about storylines number two and number three. I think I've got a little bit of a good idea here, but I would imagine these two coaches going up against each other is a huge storyline. I mean, you got two coaches going uh, head-to-head. Kind of the best of what they do is the opposite of what they do. If if Mike Leach was here, I think he would start talking about medieval times. Uh, who has the advantage? Is it the person on defense or the person on offense? I Think about you have, are you going to spend your time over the next month building a wall or are you going to build, build a, a trebuchet and kind of try to take advantage of what the other team does well. So that's really what I'm looking forward to the most is seeing who who took advantage of this month off and who has the uh, upper hand when it comes to game planning. Uh, personally, Chris, I, th- I think he's got to go to offense in Lincoln Riley. He's done nothing but show that uh, he's smarter than us uh, and everybody else. So um, whenever you look at that matchup, when you have the ball in your hand in basketball, uh, you know where you're going. The defender has no idea. And I, I don't think... Uh, in any other way that you can see it, uh, at least on the football field. Baker's got the ball in his hands. Lincoln knows what he's doing. Uh, And so I kind of like OU's matchup there, but I think that'll be a key to watch. Agreed. And listen, let's not lose sight. I love the coordinator battle in this game. I love 
what Mel Tucker has done for Georgia's defense, and then obviously in turn, uh, Lincoln Riley with Oklahoma's offense. And Jim Chaney, longtime Purdue assistant, learned under that Joe Tiller coaching tree, kind of the uh, early ages of the spread offense. This was a guy that was coaching for his job this year as Georgia's offensive coordinator. He's really made things work. And you got Mike Stoops on the other side of the ball. I love the coordinator chess match that's going to take place on Monday. All right, what about storyline number three? What's something else we can kind of keep an eye on? Because a lot of time off for both of these teams. Again, you got a, you got a month off. Um, you really don't know what team is going to roll out there. Um, some guys can regress over this month. Some guys can progress. Um, some players might not make the trip. Um, they might get in trouble uh, off the field, or they might declare early for the draft. We've seen that uh, with some other teams. Uh, so who's going to roll out and who's going to show up? I think that's one thing you got to look for. Uh, and also, there's always somebody that steps up. I mean, last year, Caleb Kelly had a really big game that nobody really saw coming. Um, so you always have this young guy that kind of steps in uh, and shows what the future holds for the team. And uh, that's always the most exciting part to look at, win or lose, is you get to look back at this game and say, man, so-and-so, they have a, a quite a bright future ahead of them. All right, Jacob, I know you got a lot of shows to prep for, uh, a lot of shows that you've done a lot of work in putting together. Anything else that's kind of stood out for the week's worth of programs that you got? Maintain focus. I mean, we all, we're, all, we're all talking about next year. We're talking about next week. It's always about what's coming next, and everybody knows what's coming next, and that's, that's another national title appearance. Uh, it's hard to not look ahead uh, as a fan, so I can't imagine what it's like as a player to know Man, if I just win this next game, I'm going to be right where I want to be. Uh, so I'm really curious to know how uh, how these coaches approach that. Uh, I'm sure internally they discuss it and they talk about it. Uh, players, uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm not uh, 20 years old anymore, so I don't know how their minds work. Um, but I think a lot about the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, those coaches are well-versed in that. And I know Coach Stoops uh, reached out um, Last year, I mean, uh, two two years ago when they were in the playoffs uh, out to Michigan State to kind of see how they uh, did things when they were in the uh, basketball tournament, just kind of pick their brains and see how they approach it and see how they can apply that to football. So uh, we haven't quite made that second game yet uh, when we came up short a couple years ago. So I'll be interested to see how the team does. All right, so the countdown is on to game day. Uh, give me an idea of what we can expect from the game day show on site at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. A lot of great stuff as always. Of course, we'll break down uh, the Georgia offense and the Georgia defense, uh, but really the storyline is how can Oklahoma uh, match up against that SEC defense? Uh, Obviously, in years past with uh, Oklahoma and Bob Stoops, there's been a pretty good success rate against the SEC, so I think we can look forward to that. Uh, But particularly on the Georgia side, uh, everybody's looking towards that running game. Uh, You have... Three really good running backs, um, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift. And, and I'm really kind of looking at DeAndre Swift. I know, Plank, you did that show uh, with Chris Woods and Austin Woods, and uh, there's a little bit of a challenge there. Um, he, he can be a little bit of a wild card, so we'll see. Each, each one of those guys does something a little bit differently, so uh, you kind of have three different uh, weapons you got to prepare for. For those of us who will be challenged by the time zone, what time will the game day show start on Fox Sports? For those uh, back in Oklahoma, we'll be on at 3 o'clock on Fox Sports Southwest. And then finally, nobody is as in tune with the game notes as Jacob Potter is. So give me a couple of other tidbits for Sooner fans that really stood out as you started diving through the game notes and storylines we might be able to follow come Monday. Well, Chris, first of all, for those that don't know, the game notes, 30 to 60 pages of, of notes, stats, and info. 
And you can really learn quite a bit from those. Uh, most notably, you can learn uh, what they're not good at by seeing what they don't mention. Uh, whenever you look at a game note, you have uh, you learn in the first three or four paragraphs what a team is really good at. And then when you start reading, you're like, man, they haven't talked about uh, punting in a while. Uh, they, that must be a weakness. And then you go look at the stats and you realize, yeah, that's, that's not where they're strong at. Uh, so you, you always find a little nugget like that. Um, and for Georgia, passing is, is in there. Uh, when you look at the number of yards they total, it's not great. Um, it's amongst some of the worst in the country. But on the flip side of that, they're extremely efficient when they do uh, do attempt passes. Uh, whenever you look at the completions uh, per attempt, it's really strong. So whenever you piece those two notes together, uh, it's really kind of an unknown still. I think we, we think we know what's going to happen, uh, but it's a little bit of an unknown. Uh, the other storyline that I kind of find in the game notes that nobody is really talking about, and nobody will talk about because I don't think he's even going to get in the game, but how about Evander Holyfield's son being uh, fourth string? Oh, man, great point. Great note. Completely forgot about it. Elijah Holyfield, the son of Evander Holyfield, this season played in 11 of their 13 games, did have one start, 293 yards on the ground, 5.9 yards per attempt, and two touchdowns. Great stuff from Jacob Potter, the man behind the scenes of all the fun coverage you get from Sooner Sports TV. We haven't talked a lot about Georgia, and I've wanted to do this from a little bit of a different perspective. I am a a huge wrestling fan. I know, right? I I love it. Not just what the Sooners wrestlers do on the mat. I grew up as a WWF, WCW, Texas wrestling fan. Uh, I think my... uh, my stepbrothers and I would work on the Carrie Von Eric claw on each other. Kevin, I was more of a Kevin Von Eric fan, but I love wrestling. And there's some really cool wrestling ties to this matchup because WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross with the black cowboy hat might be the most visible and one of the most popular Oklahoma football fans there is. But on the other side of things, Tony Schiavone, longtime voice of WCW, now a podcast star. He's worked with the Georgia Radio Network for years, and I had a chance to catch up with uh, Tony. And kind of a very simple question to kick things off, because this is the first time that Oklahoma and Georgia have ever played each other. So what can we expect from Georgia fans? How much red and black are we going to see in Pasadena? Well, the the Notre Dame game was incredible because apparently Notre Dame fans had a lot of tickets for sale and they just made a, they made a weekend of it. They went to uh, Chicago, a big fan base. Uh, they were at the uh, the Cubs game the night before former uh, coach Vince Dooley uh, threw out the first pitch of the Cubs game. And they had were a lot of uh, Georgia Bulldog chants going on. Uh, the fan base is, is pretty rabid. Now, you know, we're in the sec. So, the furthest the fan base would have to travel really would be Texas A&M or maybe uh, into a Fayetteville, Arkansas, which it, it's a good trek, but we haven't been to Texas A&M and we won't have to go there until like 2025, the way the schedule works out. So you can be a Georgia Bulldog fan and go to uh, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Florida, Alabama, but like you just said, who in the world would want to go there? Uh, and <laughs> And and Auburn, uh, which you don't want to go there either, actually, because it's in Alabama. Uh, and, and you can drive so that the fans are, are able to, to make the trek everywhere. Right. It's the SEC, with the exception of some of the far-out places. And Missouri, for some reasons, in our conference, uh, <laughs> with the exception of the, the far-out places, you can get around. So they've always been a fan base that travels very, very well. 
So now they've said what they're going to do is we've heard things that, well, we're going to go to uh, Las Vegas and we're going to take over Las Vegas uh, the weekend of the Rose Bowl. And I'm thinking, okay, good luck for that with that. Uh, but uh, it's a good fan base. It really is. It's a very passionate fan base. And hey, they've they've never been here, right? They've never been to the Final Four, so they're they're more rabid than ever before. What uh, it's always fun, and I I do sidelines for the Oklahoma Radio Network. And Tony, I know you work with the Georgia Radio Network. You're embedded. You're embedded with the team, so it makes it fun, and and you're in, invested as well too. So I, I I'm curious as you've been embedded and you've seen two years of Kirby Smart. What stands out about the job that he's done, and and what's he like to deal with, kind of away from the game? Well, first of all, I, I think. Uh, Chris, what he has done is um, I think his strengths lie within recruiting. They, they right now have the number one recruiting class for 2018 after the, uh, the early signing period. Uh, that's his strength. And, of course, that always leads to, to winning ballgames. You're not always going to hit a home run with a recruit, but if you have enough of them, when, and they've, they've signed six five-stars, signed them so far. Wow. Uh, I think that's what his strengths are, is – his connection with kids uh, and the way he can connect with them in recruiting and can connect with them uh, on the field and, the, and on the practice field as well. And of course, you know, he's, uh, he worked with Nick Saban all those years, not only with, with Alabama, but he was with Nick in the NFL as well. So that's been his, that's been his connection with the kids. Now what he's like away from uh, the field. I, uh, I do his, uh, his morning radio show which is it's not long. It's about two minutes, and it goes on every one of our network shows uh, during the weekday drive period, uh, and it's called the Kirby Smart Report, and I do those with him. I did those with Mark Rick for 10 years, Wow! and the, the differences between he and Mark Rick are incredible. Kirby is so focused that it's almost hard to peg him down to do these. Uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, doing my intro. Welcome to the Kirby Smart Report for Monday here on the Georgia Bulldog Radio Network. And he's looking at his phone uh, and texting his coaches. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, you know, kind of uh, focus here now because this is a show that you get paid for to do, buddy. Uh, and uh, uh, Mark Rick was certainly different. He was, he was very personable uh, and easy to work with. It's not that Kirby's not easy to work with. He is just so focused that uh, he's like one of those guys you know, you envision those NFL coaches that the only thing they do is sleep at the uh, at the practice facility and and, and work twenty four seven. Kirby comes off to me as one of those guys who do, who does that, and that's good, right? I mean, to yeah, in right. certain instances, yeah. that's what you want from your guys. Uh, Tony, I won't get too X and O with you because I'm not that guy. And I don't think you're that guy either. And no, I'm not. And I know when we talk to Jim Ross, he won't be that guy either, though. Uh, he, right. he, he's a big OU fan too. So I'm curious. How impressed have you been seeing a true freshman take over the way that Jake Fromm has? Because, again, there had been some talk about the possibility of, you know, Fromm being the guy even before the season started. But you had Eason, and he had a, a pretty good track record. With what you've seen from this true freshman in one of the best defensive conferences, period. I mean, how, how – I don't want to say shocked, but how impressed have you been with the way that he's handled himself? Well, I've been impressed with his leadership abilities. Uh, the old the adage that they use around Georgia is that he's a gym rat. In other words, that he uh, he just loves hanging around and, and studying and learning the playbook and becoming a leader. Uh, that's what I'm impressed with. He's also been a beneficiary of the fact that he has a great running game. 
and that always makes you a better quarterback. Uh, and I've been impressed with that. He doesn't have the strong arm that, uh, that Eason had, but we saw Eason for one series and against Appalachian state before he got injured. And he just, I don't, I don't know. He just, he just, and one series cannot tell the story on the kid. I understand that, but he just, the, the team didn't move. Uh, and he was uh, scrambling in the pocket. And then once he got injured, and as soon as uh, Fromm came in, immediately it was different. It was just, it, it just, I don't know if it was his leadership or his confidence or what it was, but it was a kid who, who uh, looked like he should be there. Uh, and it didn't look like a freshman. He's not the greatest thrower in the world. Like, you know, Easton can really chuck the ball down the field, mm-hmm. uh, but he's a great leader. Now, that being said, uh, they they just signed Justin Fields, uh, who apparently is the number one quarterback in the nation in high school, and is a, a dual threat quarterback. They just signed him during this early signing period. So next year, and I nobody Kirby will say, "Oh, we can't look at next year. We got to look at Oklahoma." But next year, uh, <laughs> next year, uh, there's really going to be a, a scrap for quarterback because Justin Fields is is all that and a lot more. Oh, and then one one final thought on on Georgia before I let you go, Tony. Uh, you have a dual threat, well, dual threat, two headed running back in both Chubb and Michelle, and it seems kind of amazing to think that we're watching the guy that's the second all time leading rusher in SEC history, and the only guy ahead of him is some dude named Herschel Walker. That's a yeah. pre- that's a pretty incredible list of running backs. What makes Chubb so special? I what makes Chubb so special is he is by far, and anybody will tell you this the strongest guy on the team. Wow. He can outlift any of the linemen. He can outlift and deadlift anybody. He is just so strong and so powerful and such just a, uh, you know, he's from Cedartown, which is a small town in, in West Georgia. Uh, and he won the MVP of the belt bowl a couple of years back. And, you know, as they all get on the field with all the confetti and everything, make it seem like a big deal. They brought up, let's bring up Nick Chubb, the MVP of the game. Nick, talk about winning. The only thing he said was, go dogs. <laughs> uh, that's all he said. And, and he is very quiet, and he's such a good kid. Uh, and, but he is just a power running back. I mean, you don't think of him as a power running back, but he, his yards after contact have been incredible. Now, I've seen a lot of defensive linemen and linebackers be able to stop him uh, if the offensive line doesn't get the push. But he is—he's he's actually the strongest kid I've ever seen play at that position. Good stuff with Tony Schiavone. Like I said, I—I uh, I didn't really grow up listening to him because uh, it was more in my teen and my adult years. So I, he was a major part of my life. As is our next guest. We stay inside the ring with WWE Hall of Famer, good old Jr. Jim Ross. I used to love reading Jr.'s Seven Points to Ponders. I'm curious to get your take on this, Jr. It seems as if it's very simplistic to say it, but I mean, how important is that battle in the trenches specifically for the Oklahoma defensive line trying to make sure they slow down that Georgia running attack? This is very important because uh, the, the the longer that uh, that Georgia offense is on the field, uh, the longer that Baker Mayfield and his, uh, his, his soldiers are on the sideline. And, uh, you know, our, our chances, our best chances of winning this game 
are being able to keep the offense on the field as much as as many opportunities as we can we can uh, get for them. So it's a big thing, and uh, it's going to come back to real basic football. Who's going to win the line of scrimmage? Can our defensive line and our front seven uh, beat uh, the offensive line of Georgia? If we can, we win. If we can't, we lose. It's a uh, boy that. That's been my take throughout, and the the simplicity of it uh, just makes it to where you can't break it down much more because it is, JR, it's that simple of a matchup. You've got to win in the trenches come Monday or you're going to be in big trouble on both sides. Oklahoma has to be able to run the football. Georgia wants to run the football. This is simply a battle of the big uglies inside. Yeah, absolutely, and and this time of the year it really comes down to that pretty much in every ball game where the line of scrimmage uh, is the is the culprit, and that's it's not real sexy to talk about. It's not real you know exotic. Uh, you know they they run a you know uh, a one deep secondary, or they're running a one deep safety, or they're running a two cover two, or whatever. All those code words and all that stuff's all fine <laughs> for football fanatics. But the bottom line is if if you block us off the line of scrimmage and you run the ball effectively, we're we're gonna we're not gonna win. So that's the whole issue to me is we have to tackle and not kill shots, but tackle people and get them to the ground. Uh, and if we do that, I think we've got a great chance to win a ball game because I don't think any defense in the country uh, can stop. They can slow down for half. They cannot stop uh, Lincoln Riley's offense. I, I want to talk more about the offense with you in just a bit, but Jr. As we're taping, as, as we're doing this this interview, the OU defense is meeting with the media in Pasadena, and Stephen Parker talked about how this team has really stepped up since the first half of the Oklahoma State game, and I I could not agree with him more. You you've seen a team, he said on the defense post Oklahoma State quote, pride really took a toll on us. We took a lot of pride. Our practices were chippier. That's got to fire you up as a Sooner fan to see, hey, they're not just looking at it and saying our offense is going to pick us up. Their defense said, we got to start making plays. We got to get more intense. And I think it showed every game there on out. And obviously, we can debate TCU's offense. But JR, the, the defense played a major role in them getting all their wins. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, team, uh, the team wins, you know, uh, Chris, and, and uh, you know, suffice to say, but the team wins and the defense played a big role in that. And I'm sure that uh, many, like many of us fans, I got tired of reading or hearing or whatever, social media-wise, uh, mainstream media, whatever, about how poor our defense was. I never thought we were bad. I just thought there were some fundamentals that we had to we had to get better at, including tackling. So, uh, but I, I'm sure they're tired of hearing it as well. So, I would think that as much as Baker Mayfield has carried that chip on his shoulder since uh, he left uh, Lake Travis High School, I would say that this defense has probably been—they're tired of listening to this stuff. And they've heard it all year long, and so I, I gotta believe they're gonna play a little bit chip on their shoulder as well. So it's really gonna be a, a classic old football, you know, sort of games where you wish Keith Jackson was calling it. <laughs> exactly. And now, did you go out in what was it? Oh, two. Whenever Teddy and that team played in the Rose Bowl, Jr. Have you been out to Pasadena before? Yes, sir. We uh, beat Washington State there on Mike Price's last game at Washington State uh, before his never had one game at Alabama. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yeah, we we I went out there. It was a, it was it was one of the most amazing football trips. And I told guys this, you know, I've been to every bowl game that Oklahoma's played in, uh, luckily, and I've been blessed to be able to go. Uh, but, man, that uh, Rose Bowl trip was really, really special. And that's not hyperbole. Just as a football fan, watching it, uh, the granddaddy of them all, it really means something to a football fan. And I'm, I hope that it means as much to these kids who really kind of grew up out of that 
that generation where it wasn't the featured game of New Year's Day. Yeah, 2002 season, 2003 Rose Bowl. Sooners won it 34-14. to I ask because, and I'm curious, uh, obviously everyone wants to maybe take a piece of the Rose Bowl parade in, but, JR, you brought it up. There's so much nostalgia and so much history around it. What are some can't-miss things that you remember are some memories that stood out, not just about Oklahoma kick and Washington State that game, but everything around the Rose Bowl? Those sounds, the, for some reason, the, uh, for lack of a better term, the acoustics, the noise level is uh, really uh, – Unique to me, uh, it, it, the stadium doesn't have these the uh, modern uh, facilities as far as the their incline, how the how the incline of the seats are. You, just, you feel like you really got a good seat, and uh, I don't know. I just the atmosphere, the game, the the sounds, the sights, the the, the surroundings, the mountains. Uh, it's just it's not been over commercialized. It doesn't have a Starbucks in it type thing. You know what I mean? And yes. So I, I really like it. It's a football stadium. It's just a damn big football stadium. <laughs> I love it. All right, then uh, a couple more quick ones. I mentioned I wanted to talk offense with you, but boy, how fun has it been the last three years to see the development and the focus and then obviously the success of a Baker Mayfield. You feel like you've been along for the ride with him. You mentioned how he's played with that chip on his shoulder since he left Lake Travis, but Jared, I've really seen a guy develop as a playmaker, and it's been fun to be a part of. Yeah, he's the he's the point guard man. He's the he's Oscar Robertson. Somebody said, "Who the hell's that?" Well, he's, he was the guy before LeBron James and Kobe and even Michael. Uh, pretty good, pretty good three way player, you know. Uh, big Oscar was the triple double guy. Or well, Baker's that guy. He can beat you throwing. He can beat you at running. He can beat you with his leadership. I just believe he brings a great confidence to that offensive unit, and I think they actually feed off each other. Uh, he's a, he's really a he's just had an amazing year, and you know. That's a good argument to be made that, you know, if, and I don't know if this is the qualifier or not, Chris, but, you know, if he wins two more games, it's going to be very hard to debate that he's not the greatest quarterback in the history of Oklahoma football. No, yeah, and that's good. Boy, you talk about a fun debate to kind of carry us through the summer. You know, that's going to be one that we could have for a long time, and I'd love to be having it post-championship. But, you know, as good as Baker has been, and JR, I know you would bring this point up a lot, we get back and we take it full circle into the trenches because – Orlando Brown, Bobby Evans, Ben Powers, Drew Samia, Eric Wren, uh, any of the other guys that have been called upon, Cody Ford. The way this offensive line is played, and I know you feel the same way about Coach Beanbow as I do, they don't get the highlights, they don't get the accolades, but man, they sure do deserve it with this team. Absolutely. Uh we're very lucky at Oklahoma to have uh, Bill Beanbow as our head coach, our, our line coach, rather. Uh He's uh, he's really brilliant at how he, he uh, his message to these kids. They believe in everything he says, and they should. Uh, it's just amazing uh, how he teaches character and integrity along with technique. So he's got some really some really great young men up there. You know, Orlando Brown is is kind of like a you know a surrogate son to me. I, I just think the world of him, and and he's going to have a, a great life, a uh, great future, God willing, of his health and all that. So. Uh, Coach Beanbow is a treasure, and sometimes that gets overlooked because he's not coaching the exotic position. He's not coaching the quarterback. He's not coaching the running backs or the wide receiver. So he's he's a he's a man, boy. I tell you, we can't uh, we shouldn't ever take him for granted in this in this university. No, absolutely not. And we'll see if he decides to try to go to the pros this year or not. But, boy, what a great challenge, as you mentioned, in the trenches. Because, Jar, I don't know how much with, with writing and with your book tours and with your one-man shows and everything you have going on, how much you've been able to watch. But that interior, that Georgia defense, I, I know Lincoln Riley's talked about it a lot, but that's a bear to deal with. 
Oh yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, they, they, they. Uh, it, it's it's good. It's an interesting. It's, it's the team has really evolved to something special. I believe that the Oklahoma offensive line has had a big hand in making the Oklahoma front seven better because they practice against each other a lot. And uh, I think that's uh, you know you, you always kind of play up your competition. And there's no better offensive line in America than the one that the Sooners had. I I would agree 100. percent Hey, a final thought before I let you run. Uh, a lot of my questions have been kind of uh, prefaced with how impressed have you been with blank, but I can't help but ask this last one. You uh, had a great relationship with Bob Stoops, still do, but I still marvel sometimes when I look over there and see Lincoln Riley and think, wow, this is a first-year head coach. It's been pretty impressive with what he's accomplished in a short amount of time, and I think a lot of that credit, too, goes to Bob Stoops for laying out what was an amazing succession plan. Oh, absolutely. It's brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, it made it much easier for, for Lincoln to uh, transition. He only had to make one hire. Uh, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Kept his staff intact. Uh, I think that's, that's great. But Bob, uh, Bob took care of the program for almost 19 years and he's still taking care of it. And as far as having Lincoln as uh, in position to be the head coach, you know, uh, Lincoln is a, Lincoln's got a heart of gold, and he's a real good young man. He's raised right. He's got a good mom and dad. That means so much in today's world to have both parents in the home. Uh, I know when my wife got killed, he was more concerned about me than uh, when I saw him in June, uh, when he, the day after he got named head coach. Wow. He was more willing to. He wanted to talk about my situation, how I was feeling, and it made me almost self conscious because I wanted to kind of step away from that. But uh, he cared about how I felt and how I was. Uh, how I was healing, and and he talked more about that than he did to hey, Jr. I'm the I'm the new head coach of the Sooners. Can you believe it? It wasn't that at all. It was just about uh, things that were real in the world, and uh, so he's a, he's a good man. He's a real good man. We we took a CBL and did it again. You know, uh, with his hire and gosh Almighty, I'm just so grateful that he's here. And I can't wait to get out there. I'm going on Saturday and and stay until the fifth, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I think for everybody. Fun perspective there from the great Jim Ross, and obviously cool to hear from Tony Schiavone. Let's shift our focus here before we wrap up back on the Georgia Bulldogs because in addition to talking some fun with Tony Schiavone, I caught up with Mark Weiser. Mark is the Georgia beat writer for the Athens Banner Herald and there's a storyline that I feel is a bigger deal than basically anyone else does and Natres Patrick being out for Georgia is a huge story in my book but Mark as we welcome you into the Sooner Sports Podcast is am I making too much of this is is Natres Patrick being out a huge deal for Georgia middle of the road loss or one they won't feel at all uh, I would let's see those options are probably closer to the, the hardly at all and I don't want to minimize him I mean he's a starting linebacker for the third ranked team in the country uh, but he missed four games this year, and Georgia won them all. And I'm pretty sure they won them all convincingly. Maybe the last one was South Carolina, where it was a, uh, maybe like a 14 point margin. Uh, but you know, Roquan is the guy that's the difference maker at the inside linebacker position. They have a guy Reggie Carter who will start in his place, presumably. He's a fifth year senior. He started a, a lot of games. Um, you know, I think Georgia is probably, to a certain extent, bracing themselves uh, for his, you know, whether he was going to play or not play. And that wasn't determined. I mean, Kirby Smart knew what he was going to do. He didn't right. announce it, though. And then once once he failed another drug test uh, on a, a marijuana, because uh, actually the, the last drug test was more than just marijuana. So uh, he's, he's in treatment. He's not going to be playing uh, in the playoff. And, uh, you know, I think they can survive it. 
It's amazing to me because, again, you, you follow this team closer than anybody, but it's not like there was some amazing addition. For the most part, this is the same group of players that were out there last year. So what's been the biggest difference for them? And I'm talking specifically defense here. What's kind of clicked for them defensively this year? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with Tim Starter's back, a second year in Kirby Smart System. Um, you know, certain guys in particular have, I mean, Roquan has stepped up his game even another level, and he was a, he was a leading tackler last year with over 100 tackles. But, uh, you know, in the SEC championship game, he had two fumble recoveries, 13 tackles. He's all over the field. Um, you know, they've been able to, to get big plays when needed from, from Davin Bellamy and uh, uh, Lorenzo Carter. Now, those guys, you know, maybe don't have stats to jump off with the sacks, but, you know, in the Notre Dame game, Davin Bellamy went around McGlinchey, their left tackle, who was, uh, you know, touted as an NFL first-rounder, and made the clutch play to force a fumble uh, when they needed it. And both those guys uh, caused fumbles against Auburn in the championship game. Uh, you know, their front seven is their strength. Uh, Missouri... Uh, and Auburn, the first time around, you know, had some success passing the ball. Uh, you know, Missouri had four touchdown passes through a lock. So, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's, you know, obviously he can pick them apart uh, if he's on his game and Georgia doesn't get pressure on, on Mayfield. Uh, you know, that, that's probably their most vulnerable spot. Is that I, I had watched the we watched the SEC championship game for a film room show we did with coaches and that was probably may, maybe it's fair to say a tighter game than the final score indicated but it just seemed like that was a defense that uh, asserted its will the offense turned away on the clock and they just they took Auburn out of their game when when the game what three weeks earlier was the exact opposite so I guess my question is since Auburn and Oklahoma have a similar attack. Is it fair to say it's the type of offensive attack that's going to give Georgia issues? Or with what they learned in the SEC championship game, does that make them put them in a better position to try to slow down a guy like Baker in this offense? Well, you know, I think a, a lot of Auburn's issues in that championship game where the Kerryon Johnson was, you know, playing it, I don't know if he was 50%, 70 percent He clearly wasn't the type of back he was uh, first game three weeks earlier. So, uh, you know, the, after that first drive, they really – didn't uh, you know generate much? And when they did, they turned it over in the red zone yeah. a couple times, and then they had a block field goal. Uh, you know that, that Georgia was able to get. So um, you know Oklahoma obviously has talent all over the field in terms of in, in the passing game. Uh, you know when their running backs uh, going well, it's, you know Georgia's also going to get tested that way. But Auburn's you know, Auburn's uh, one game in from the plains. At uh, Jordan Hare was the only time that Georgia really got gashed in the run game. So, uh, you know, Georgia feels good about their run defense. I have a hard time finding a weakness with this team. I mean, I, I really do. And I guess maybe there's that Homer perspective that I look at it from as well. But man, when I watched when I watch Georgia, I just see I just see a loaded team. Has that kind of been? I, and again, I know you you've seen them more than anyone, so you have that balanced approach. But is that a fair assessment? Just a team that doesn't have many weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, they certainly don't have many. Uh, you know, the offensive line is definitely a strength this year, and it wasn't last year. And, uh, you know, except for that Auburn game, right. they've answered the call every week. Um, you know, as I mentioned, the secondary is probably the, the one area that, that you wonder, uh, you know, can they hold up in a game like this, uh, you know, for 60 minutes? Um you know, and then the other thing is, it's not really, uh, it's more of an intangible thing. Uh, against Auburn, they had a lot of self-destructive penalties, a lot of bonehead decisions, uh, you know, that, that some of the players made. 
uh, they can't have that kind of thing. They, they need to be poised, uh, you know, and and make uh, the smart choices, uh, you know. But I mean, special teams is a strength. Obviously, the defense is, and and with the running game that they have, uh, you know, you don't need to ask Jake Fromm to do too much in the passing game. But you know, when he is called on, he seems to deliver more often than not. Has the uh, has the offensive success as we shift to, to the offensive side of the ball? Has there been anything you've noticed that Jim Cheney's done specifically, or again, is it just inserting a guy like Fromm in there who can do some things? Play Playmakers getting another year older, or, or do we give credit to the OC in any adjustments he's made? Well, the offensive line definitely, uh, you know, has a much better chemistry. Um, they've been uh, together the whole season in terms of they haven't had to shuffle around. Andrew Thomas is a starting right tackle. Uh, you know, they had a really good recruiting class, and, and he was actually probably the second most heralded. The guy that was the most heralded, Isaiah Wilson, uh, who was, I think, number five ranked in the country overall, ended up redshirting him. He's from Brooklyn, New York. Um, Isaiah Wynn moved from left guard to left tackle and uh, really – uh, I think Georgia only lost once uh, in about 18 games that he's been the starter. He started some at left tackle his sophomore season as well. Uh, you know, and then they don't ask Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle to carry the ball 20, 25 times a game. Uh, you know, when you have DeAndre Swift as the third running back and they can bring him in and wear down defenses and hand him off like they did, uh, you know, in what was it, late third quarter or uh, early fourth quarter against Auburn, uh, you know, he has game-breaking ability as he did on that 65-yard touchdown run. So they have a lot of talent. Also, Nicole Hardman is their, probably their third wide out. He was a defensive back last year and wasn't playing. Uh, you know, was number one rated athlete out of that recruiting cycle, and uh, that move has really paid off where he's a third guy with Terry Godwin and Javon Wims that Georgia can count on in the passing game. Mark, I'm infatuated. Maybe it's like the sports radio guy in me with the X factor conversation. So from that perspective, who's the true X factor for Georgia in this game? Could it be Swift? It's probably Michael Harbin, as I mentioned, uh, not necessarily in the, in the wide receiving. Uh, and he's gotten better. He had right. drops uh, early in the season uh, every other game type thing. And, and so, you know, really couldn't necessarily be counted on as a guy that could get you the ball when you needed it in terms of uh, – that way, but but in terms of him as a kick returner, as a punt returner, he hasn't broken one all the way the distance this year. But he's had he's come close several times, uh, and really, if if he can, you know, take one of the house this game, he really could swing the momentum, and he has the, the capability of doing that. Mark, your perception, uh, your perspective, your opinion of Oklahoma with the work that you've done so far and uh, looking at this Sooner team. Really impressed with the tight end. You don't see too many tight ends these days that are the focal point of the passing game. You know, 50-some catches, I guess it is. Um, And and they use them in all different kinds of ways. You know, Baker's throwing it to them all over the field in the championship game. Uh, You know, they have – I guess you don't really necessarily have to count on – one or two guys in, in the wide receiving game. Uh, you know, you can see three or four different types of uh, different guys. Um, you know, and, and defensively, they look like they got better as the season went on. You know, it'll be interesting to see uh, in this matchup if they can shut down or, or not shut down necessarily, but, uh, you know, contain Georgia in the run game. If Georgia doesn't gash them for 200 plus yards, you know, it is what they did in November uh, legitimate. Uh, are they an improving defense or, you know, did they maybe catch the right opposition, the right matchups? It'll be interesting to see how that defense holds up. Two quick ones, and I'll let you go. First, any concerns about a freshman quarterback in a situation like this on a stage like this? Yeah, normally I would say yes, but I mean, he just became the second uh, quarterback to ever start and win an SEC championship game after Jalen Hurts last year in the 26 years they've been playing SEC championships. He also went 
to Notre Dame and won yeah. uh, in his fourth start. So he, he's gone there. He's gone to 100,000-seat stadium at Tennessee. He's gone to Jacksonville, a 50-50 neutral site. And I'm sure you've seen, if you've watched Georgia games, they, they highlighted pretty much every game. As a, uh, I guess he was 13 years old. He's pitching in the World Series, a Little League World Series. He's hitting three homers. So he's kind of grown up uh, for these kind of moments, you know, and uh, – I don't think that's going to be the difference in this game. I mean, clearly Baker Mayfield is the better quarterback, uh, but I think with with George is what they can do to complement Plum and not ask him to win the game per se. I think they're going to be okay in that regard. I don't see, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I just in in my amount of watching them this year, I don't see Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker and Jim Chaney as guys that go out and do crazy things. You know, you watch that first half of the Auburn game; they ran what a double reverse pass, and they uh, they had a couple of flea thick flickers. It didn't really work, but Oklahoma might be. So, w- with that in mind. Could this be an instance where we see a little bit more trickery addition to the playbook over the last couple of weeks in preparation from Oklahoma than you think we might from Georgia? You know, I wouldn't say so necessarily. I mean, you have four weeks to get ready for the game. I'm sure Georgia has some stuff that they've held on to all season because, you know, how many close games has Georgia been in? Right, great point. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they have have these kind of plays, and, and, you know, if it turns out that that's when they're going to need them, I think they'll turn on it. Uh, they'll turn to him. I'm trying to remember which game it was. I mean, they did do an onside kick at, at a point that uh, was surprising. Uh, at one point this season, they've done the flea flicker at least three times, and it, it's worked once against Mississippi State, where, where it went for a touchdown, right. but not the not the last couple times. Uh, you know, I'm sure they have something that they're going to use, and especially with this much time, they've been able to wrap it. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if both teams come with uh, you know a lot of stuff to work. Well, I know I say final thought, but I'll make, I promise this is the last one, Mark, because I'm fascinated with how first-time head coaches deal with, with the media and the responsibilities beyond just coaching. Year two, how has the Kirby Smart experience been for, for you covering this guy? You know, he came from Saban in Alabama, and everything pretty much was uh, changed to match what he did, uh, you know, what he learned in Tuscaloosa. Everything from moving the press conference day from Tuesdays to Mondays, because that's what Alabama did. Uh, they used to have several players available uh, a couple a couple, of two or three times a week. Um now they have three uh, for Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and they, they come out now with a backdrop behind them with Delta and Georgia logos on there. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a controlled interview list. You're going to get the same dozen guys uh, throughout the season. For the most part, freshmen aren't allowed to talk. Except, right. uh, you know, Jake Farmer was available after the championship game. And, and you know, in the playoffs, uh, they don't call the, the shots there. The the, uh, the folks that run that thing do. So, wow. um, but. You know, Kirby's really good with his answers. Uh, you know, he's frank uh, with if you have a question and he's not going to, um, you know, uh, camouflage what his opinion is. He's, he's pretty blunt about it. Uh, so, you know, there's give and take. You, maybe you're not going to talk to everyone you want, but maybe you'll get something really frank from him about his thoughts on, on uh, one thing or another. Well, there's tons of information to hopefully get you ready for kickoff. Uh, as you might imagine, I'm pretty jacked up right now. I've never even stepped foot inside the Rose Bowl, and I, I grew up as a fan of Los Angeles and Bay Area sports. So, you know, just to be just to be in Los Angeles, just to be in California is always exciting for me. But to have the opportunity to watch the Sooners play in the Rose Bowl, only the second time that Oklahoma has ever played in the Rose Bowl, as far as a bowl game is concerned, man, it doesn't get any better than this. Thanks, as always, for downloading and subscribing. I'm going to leave you with a reminder 
because I would imagine if you've made it this far in the part in the podcast, you are the most diehard of diehard fans. So with that in mind, if you are traveling to Pasadena, if you are going to the Rose Bowl, we will not have an in-stadium frequency for our radio broadcast. I know a lot of fans uh, have the opportunity to listen and we're able to put out a frequency usually like in an 89.7 or something like that. But unfortunately, due to house rules, we're not allowed to do that. Also, if you typically consume the Sooner Radio Network through TuneIn, the uh, streaming rights are not allowed. So what you'll need to do is watch ESPN.com. And they'll have our radio feed laid over the play-by-play broadcast. So that way, for those of you who spend so much time trying to time up the broadcast, it will be there for you. And as always, all of our great affiliates across this country will have the broadcast. You can find that list at Soonersports.com. So just to kind of maybe put this in a Cliff Notes form, uh, no streaming on TuneIn, no in-stadium frequency, but everything you need would be at Watch ESPN. And, of course, all of our great local affiliates. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday with a recap of the Rose Bowl and hopefully a preview of a national championship matchup in Georgia. Until then, everyone, have a great game day. And Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air. 